This is episode number 773 with the Shark Tank Masters. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Theodore Isaac Rubin said, happiness does not come from doing easy work, but from the afterglow of satisfaction that comes after the achievement of a difficult task that demanded our best. Welcome to this special edition with the Shark Tank Masters. Now, if you're an entrepreneur or you just like the show Shark Tank, we've had a number of the sharks on this podcast on the School of Greatness, and they've been some of our biggest interviews. Some of the most inspiring stories come from entrepreneurs who have had nothing or who've been through so many extreme challenges in their life, and yet they went on to become billionaires, famous inventors, successful entrepreneurs, and they've gone on Shark Tank to share their stories and help other young entrepreneurs grow their businesses and brand. And in this interview, we've got Sarah Blakely, who is an American billionaire businesswoman, founder of Spanx. Super inspiring, one of Time Magazine's top 100 most influential people in the world list. We've got Kevin Harrington, who's an entrepreneur and business executive. He's the founder of As Seen on TV. He's been on Shark Tank and a massive keynote speaker and author. We've got Damon John, my friend, who's a best-selling author, inventor, investor, personality, and motivational speaker. We've got him in the house. We've got Matt Higgins, who is co-founder and CEO of RSE Ventures, a private investment firm that focuses on sports and entertainment, media and marketing, food and lifestyle, and technology. And we've got Barbara Corcoran, who is an investor, speaker, consultant, and massive TV personality. Began her career in the 70s with real estate and just blew up in the NYC real estate industry. And in this episode, we talk about what the hardest part of getting a company off the ground is for entrepreneurs, how to evolve your business model and reinvent. This is something that keeps coming up for me is in the industry of social media and and digital marketing and people's attention spans constantly getting smaller and smaller, how do we reinvent to build businesses? How to continue to master your skills and sales and marketing and branding? What to do when you go all in and you fail? That's a common question. And what to do with profit when you make it in your business? How do you spend your money so that you grow and protect yourself? Super pumped about this one. Powerful episode. Make sure to share with your friends, lewishouse.com slash 773, and let me know at lewishouse on Instagram what you think when you're sharing it out. Again, a big thank you to our sponsors, and I am so excited about this interview with the one and only Shark Tank Masters. Did you wake up every morning and say, this is my dream to sell fax machines door to door? Were you thinking, "No, what am I doing in my life? Exactly. So what happened was a lot of people think that Spanx started when I cut the feet out of my pantyhose, but actually it started long before that. Mm. It started when I was selling fax machines door to door and getting my car, business card ripped up in my face, being escorted out of buildings all day, every day, that I woke up one day and just thought, I'm in the wrong movie. 
like, how did this happen? This is not my life. Yeah. Cut, scene, director, like, call the producer. And I got out a piece of paper and I wrote down, what am I good at? And the only thing in the good column was sales. And I thought, okay, what am I going to do with that? And I ended up writing in my journal, I'm going to invent a product and sell it to millions of people that will make them feel good. And then I asked the universe for an idea. And I was very specific. And it took two years. And I only cut the feet out of my pantyhose one time. And I was not going to squander any idea the universe gave me because I had really asked for it. And then the minute I cut the feet out, I started trying to make it. I started looking up manufacturers on the Mm. internet. How did you find a manufacturer at that time? A website called thomasregistry.com. And it lists all the manufacturers in the country based on category. And that's when I found out that a lot of hosiery and undergarments were being made in North Carolina. Oh, really? Yeah. So you got a local. Yeah. So U.S., yeah. So I called and called and no one would take my call and they'd either hang up on me or say they weren't interested. So I took a week off of work and drove and around there. in person. And just showed up and said, I just showed hey, up. I want to create a sample. Yeah. Because if they weren't going to get a big order for something, they're probably like, what's, we're oh, not going to do please. a little sample for you. Right. Right. Yeah. I showed up with my lucky red backpack from mm-hmm. college. It's mm-hmm. always with me. You still have it? Yeah, of course. So anyway, I went into the, ho- the manufacturing plants and they asked me the same three questions. And you are, let's say, Sarah Blakely. And you're with? Like, uh, myself. Sarah Blakely. <laughs> and you're financially backed by? And I was like, Sarah Blakely. So you can imagine how those went. It was like, well, have a nice day, honey, and good luck. And um, about you know, a few weeks after I made all those rounds, I got a call from a guy in North Carolina who had took pity on me. And said, Sarah, I've decided to make your crazy idea. And when I asked him why he had the change of heart, he said, I have three daughters. Yeah, so he ran the idea by them. And they're like, Dad, that sounds interesting. You got to give that girl a chance. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So he called you back. You didn't follow up with these people. Oh, yeah, I was following up, but gotcha. to no avail. But he he followed up and said, yeah. we'll give it a shot. Yes. We'll make this. So what was the next step? Was he just making a sample for you or testing different models or sizes? or? Yeah, so it just set up to make the garment. While I was making it with his manufacturing plant, I was also wanting to patent the idea. Mm-hmm. And I was also trying to come up with the name for the invention. So I was doing those three things simultaneously, driving up on the weekends and working with Ted in the back of the manufacturing <laughs> plant that I'd become very close with. And Driving to North Carolina from Florida. No, from Atlanta. I was living in Atlanta, Atlanta. at the time. Ted, Ted became my buddy and I went to get it patented, but all the patent lawyers wanted between three and $5,000 and I had $5,000 set aside to do this. That's it. Yeah. So I wrote my own patent. I went to Barnes and Noble no way. and I bought a book called Patents and Trademarks and I wrote the patent and then I called one of the patent lawyers that was the nicest to me and said, please, 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 will you write the claims over the weekend for a discounted price? I've done all the other rest of the patent. Yeah. The legwork you'd done. Yeah. You just kind of needed to button it up and yeah, you needed to do sign the, it off. The legal part. And so he did. He actually admitted to me that when I came to visit him, he thought I'd been sent by Candid Camera. Which let me put it in your I words. Candid Camera. I know. He thought he was being punked. <laughs> of course. Of course. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, he thought he was being punked, okay? And he thought- Where's Ashton? Where's Ashton? Yeah, exactly. He thought that his friends were playing a joke on him. No way. Yeah, he goes- uh, Who's this girl? He goes, Sarah, I mean, like, you're not the typical person who walks in the door saying, I've got a 
product and I want to patent it. So anyway, he did that. Then at the same time, I'm trying to think of the name. I had horrible names written on scrap pieces of paper all over the place in my apartment, in my car, in rental cars, on the back of like Avis agreements. And um, you want to hear how bad the runner-up name to Spanx was? Yeah. Open-toed Delilah's. No way. Yes. I cannot believe that was even an option. It was It was the runner-up. Like, how oh bad is that? Open-toed Delilah? I so wouldn't be sitting here with you right what? now if I named it that. That is the horrible yeah, It's the horrible so bad. <laughs> wow. Yes. Okay. So anyway, okay. So, what does Spanx stand for? Well, it's all about the butt. And it makes your mind wander a little bit. Nobody ever forgets it. I had no money to advertise. It was risky. It was fun. Mm. At the time, listen, now it's become a household name. But when I first invented it, I would call people and say, hi, I'm Sarah from Spanx. And they would hang up. Right. And I thought it was probably like a porn. Yeah, they thought I was pranking them. I'm called, I'm like, no, really, I'm Sarah. And my company really is called Spanx. And I had uh, department stores across the country that wouldn't sell it. They thought it Mm. was too risque of a name. Yeah. And um, my mom sent her whole luncheon to the wrong website when I first started. <laughs> I was like, mom, it's with an X. Oh my God. It's super important. Yeah, it's with I- an X. So yeah. Anyway, I ended up buying the word Spanx from a man who said he was holding out from the porn industry. Funny enough that I you bet. say that. I bet. Yeah. I paid for Spanx that. with an X. I paid some yeah. money for that. But um, anyway, yes. Hmm. So amazing. Named it Spanx. It came to me because I narrowed down my thinking. I knew that Kodak and Coca-Cola were the two most recognized names in the world at the time. And I thought, what do they have in common? I like to think about words Mm -hmm. and phrases a lot. They both had a strong K sound in them. And the man that created Kodak liked the K sound so much, he took a K and put it in the beginning and the end of the word and played with letters in the alphabet. So, and I also had a bunch of friends who did stand up comedy, and it's this weird trade secret among comedians that the K sound will make your audience laugh. So I put all that together and I'm like, okay, I want my product name to have the K sound in it for good luck. And literally Spanx came across my dashboard in my car in my mind and I pulled off the side of the road. I wrote it down. I went home that night. I typed it in my computer for $150 with my credit card. And at the last second, I backspaced the K and the S and put in an X and hit send. So it was an accident. Kind of with the, no, uh, with I, the X. I, no, I you thought, backspaced, gotcha. I yeah. backspaced because I stared at it for a while and I had done research that like made X. up words yeah, yeah. do better for product than real words and they're easier to wow. trademark. Yeah. So then, then I had the name and I had the, 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 um, patent in the works, got my prototype and my patent lawyer said, Sarah, I need to know what's in this garment in order to write the patent. I said, okay, no problem. We'll call Ted. So I get Ted on the phone. I'm like, Ted, can you talk to the manufacturer? Yeah. Right, I'm like yeah, yeah. in the back, in yes. the back. I'm like, Ted, can you talk to my patent lawyer? He's like, yeah. So we're all talking and he goes, I go, can you tell him what's in it? He's like, yeah, well, it's 70% nylon and 30% lacquer. And I'm like, all right. And so I'm taking notes. My patent lawyer's taking notes. And that night I could not sleep. I'm up all night. And the next morning I wake up, I'm like, how is there lacquer in this product? What is lacquer? Just so I'm aware of <laughs> I think of it's what like this... paint thinner or something. Okay. So I called 30% paint thinner. So I called Ted. I go, Ted, can you spell lacquer? He's like, yeah, L Y C R A. I'm like, oh my God, lycra. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. I was like, oh. got it. Do lycra. it all change on lacquer uh, immediately. It all change. My uh, yeah, patent yeah. lawyer was laughing. Said, you know how fast you would have gotten a patent if you um, paint. tried to make this out of paint thinner? He's like, they would have been like, sure. <laughs> so was it challenging to get it? Did you get it the first try? The, the patent? patent? I did. Wow. Usually got, it takes a few turns, doesn't it? It's I got like, the patent the first try and I got the hmm. um, trademark name Spanx. Amazing. Yeah. 
So it didn't seem like there was that many challenges once you submitted it or whatever. You kind of got the things you needed in place. You got the the orders in. Was was there a lot of challenges after that? Once you got the patent, the trademark. That was a really hard part. It's just gotcha. I heard the word no for two years. Oh, yeah, okay. all the manufacturers. Nobody thought it was a good idea. Wow. And um and also when you're just yourself trying to break into an industry like you mm-hmm. mentioned, the manufacturers, it's not really in their best interest to slow down machines or try yeah. to give a girl with a couple grand a chance. Unless you're gonna give them a bunch of money for a big order or something. Yeah. It's like, what's so, the point? Right. What's the proven model that everyone needs, whether it's going to be a mega hit or maybe it's not going to work, but it needs it either way, Right, the formula. My business model coming off Shark Tank is people would see me on Shark Tank and they're like, I wonder what do people really want when they go on Shark Tank? They want money, but then they, people would come to me off of the show and like email me and say, look, I do want money and I need money, but if I could just do a deal with you, you open up your Rolodex, maybe more we, than money. we can go raise money together. So so that is sort of my new model over the last um, about four or five years. Is I, 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 What I do is I take strategic um, uh, kind of um, advisory positions, mm-hmm. board positions, public companies, as well as startups. Yeah. And, um, and so that really has been really fun because I've got equity – and a little company that started at 10 cents a share, it's now $3 and 60 cents. And you know, what could be so bad to get a lot of shares in those kind of <laughs> yeah, deals. Right. Of so I have tens of millions of, of shares of public companies. You know, I think Tim Ferriss is kind of doing this kind of stuff, yeah, of get course. in on the ground floor yep. and take a little equity and, and open up the Rolodex and mm-hmm. all that. So I, I, I really love, and, and, I'm, and I'll bring some capital to the table if it's sure, needed, sure. but if somebody's like, hey, I need a million dollars, I can't just fund every deal that yeah. needs a million dollars because eventually you run out of money, right? Exactly. You know, and um, plus I'm, I have a, I'm, I'm, I'm married now twice and my new wife and, you know, we've been together 14 years, so yeah. that's new because I have a 28-year-old son from my first marriage and 19-year-old boy also, but she's like, you know, you can't be everything to everybody. So you have to kind of pick and choose what you want to do mm-hmm. and focus on the winners and then yeah. the winning people with a winning business. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So that's really, that's you know, amazing. cause the ass scene, the TV businesses, they're in the middle of disruption because it's no secret. There's a lot less people watching TV today than there was five years ago. Right. In fact, it's 50% less than there was 10 years ago. No way. Yeah. Because everyone's online. On yeah, the phone they're online. online whatever, they're yeah. on, I mean, my, I'll give you a great example. My 19-year-old started college, went over, got his apartment for him, and, I, and the furniture's being delivered. Uh-huh. The cable guy shows up, and I said, great, what, you know, what cable package did you get, Nick? And he said, oh, um, sorry to tell you, Dad, but... He's just putting in internet. internet just I'm to not watch get, yeah. Apple TV he says, or Netflix. I, yeah. or he says, I don't watch TV. I'm like, how wow. do you think we're paying for your college education? And you know, you're getting at least a basic channel. Back see it okay? I, I need to be able to watch some shows when I'm over here hanging out at your place. So wow. we, you know, so we got cable. But I mean, I'm like, I was almost. I mean, he knew he was going to offend me by not getting wow. something, but he wasn't telling me till I got there. So kids don't watch. TV, like, like, it's crazy. No, I mean, I, I, I used to, you know, in the very beginning, I had five channels. Then we got, then I had the 30 channel package. And that's how I 
created this whole infomercial space is one day I'm watching TV and the screen went dark and then they put bars up and that was Discovery Channel. It was dark for six hours. And no. uh, yeah, with bars on the screen. And, and you're I, like, I should buy that. Anytime. I said, yeah, I said, it, 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 Discovery for the first five wow. years of its existence was an 18 hour a day network. Shut up. And I bought the six hours nationwide from Discovery. Yeah, back in the back in That's the amazing. in the mid eighties. Wow. And by the way, we paid them a thousand dollars a day for six hours. And that's $365,000 a year. And that was generating tens of millions of dollars in sales. That was a great so, media buy. So that was an extremely good media buy. And that was the early, early days. So before the, everyone got in and it got the, it before, yeah. competitive. And then and- when that contract expired, that time block went from 365, it was a multi year contract, for $28 million. That's how beautiful. Twenty eight million. So three years for a thousand bucks yes, a day. Yes, thousand bucks a day. Yes, you got it. And it went for twenty eight million because it was generating tens of millions of dollars in sales. So that's when I said I got to go to Europe. I got to go to Asia. I got to go to Latin America and start picking up these all, all this. this downtime. Wow. So that's it's back in the eighties. This was in the eighties. So we went to Europe and Latin America, oh etc. Just bought it all up. Every every place we could, we'd sign long term contracts. How much is the media right now to oh, buy it's, on TV? It's outrageous i mean discovery what what we were buying for a thousand a day they'll they have slots to go for twenty thousand dollars for 30 minutes now discovery is it worth it to buy this media it's, it's becoming so difficult to make it's money gonna, off of but our strategies change like billboard right it's, like, it's oh. like a billboard but what we've had to do is tie it into amazon and social media and so anymore it today if you just go on tv you're not going to make money. Just like if call you, the phone and yeah. 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 You got to go on TV and then have all the other elements around it. Ready. Ready to go. And and then also pricing protected because what do most people do now? They they see it on TV. They actually go online, go online for to see cheaper. if they can find it cheaper. And then there's knockoff guys that actually take out, hey, you've seen the new wave Click here. Well, they've got something similar Gee, for half the price yeah, yeah, whatever. or whatever, right? So it's a it's a cutthroat business, and and we drive other people's sales with TV for sure. Yeah. In fact, we you know wow. like I said, when there was twenty resellers of that hair growing helmet on Amazon, we had to clean them up because what? Am, why am I going to go on TV no. and drive their sales? No. No, can't afford it. So wow. so it's a it's a more sophisticated business today. But you're still. Active and aggressively buying media on TV. Yes. Oh, yeah. Even today, 30 Absol- years later. Oh, yeah. Even Absolutely. Even how competitive it is, how, how much oh, more sure. expensive, it still works. Yeah. But we start on social media, actually. Wow. We start on Facebook or Pinterest or Instagram, or one of the social media channels, uh-huh. test it. and, so and get then, a few sales. Yeah. And, okay. We call it test before we invest. That's it. Yeah. It's a focus group. Proof of concept. Yeah. 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 I really kind of mentally said to myself, I'll get to know my daughters when they're 10 or 15 years old because there is no time now. I have to be in Asia for six months at a time. I have to be doing this and that. And I I questioned if it was the smartest move to do, but I said to myself, you know what? If I was a sanitation worker, I would still, or not nothing wrong with that, but if I worked a a city job, I would still work every every overtime I could because I need to 
be able to provide for them. Yeah. And now, you know, I have my beautiful little two-year-old, and it's a different way of life now. Now, and going back to this, as we'll talk about the book, Rise and Grind, now my theory is how much love can I give to this to this little being? Really? Uh, yeah, because it has changed. You know, now my life, obviously, I, I am in a better place, and I have the opportunity to be able to give as much love as I can to to her. Not that I don't give as much love as I can to my my other daughters. They right. they're they're my driving force as well. Right. So do you feel like you have a little bit more balance now? Even you're working just as hard, but you feel like you take that time to. I do, but that's exactly how the theory for the book came around. I was because I don't see you slowing down really. Right. So so what was happening was. I looked at it and I said, you know, I'm going on nine years of Shark Tank. I have hundreds of companies I work with and or deal with, and I'm investing in a bunch of them. I have a new two-year-old. I have work-life balance. I want to get home to my lady. You know, I want to do the things I love to do, fish or archery or whatever, snowboard. Or I'm, I'm really good on the board, baby. But <laughs> I want to do all those things. Yeah. How do I do it? And I went and I would go in to speak to other people that I respect and I would say, what's the tricks or the techniques you do to have work-life balance? They all told me the same exact thing, but in different forms. Mm. And I started to notice that I can improve in certain areas. Again, like you and I were talking, I don't know if it was on camera or off camera, but there is no one area of success or mastery you get to and you go, I'm done, right? You know, you can, you can be somebody who's a master at judicial or uh, or karate or something like that. And you know, at 40 years old or 25 years old, you're a certain master. But at 80 years old, you don't have the same muscle retention or the same speed. So you have to learn to master it a different way. Kind of like when Ali came out of jail and they had stripped him of his prime, he had to learn the rope dope to beat George Foreman, and he had to fight a different way. You can't so, just sit in the pocket and just grind yeah, it all. Day. Yeah, you can't. You can't do that, right? So I had to start figuring out how to master my grind today because the Damon John at 48 years old is not the grind that the Damon John at 28 years old had. And I learned all these techniques from the book from asking these people. Right, right. So what were the big things that people taught you then about this? How to navigate... So the theory in the book is uh, I study these 15 subjects in there and they have uh, success from all various ways of life, whether it's Santana or Tyler, the creator, the Grammy award-winning kid, or you know our buddy Kyle Maynard who... Army crawled on Mount yeah. Kilimanjaro He's with no arms and no legs, right? He's one of the most inspiring guys ever. He is. He, I mean, he made me feel like an absolute loser, <laughs> right? And they all told me the same thing, but they told me in different ways and different formulas. And what I found, the takeaway is that everybody is extremely selfish. All successful people are extremely selfish in a very good way. Like Chris Sacco always says, you know, and, and a lot of these people here will not answer any emails for the first hour of the day because they believe that you give up all your power if you're answering everybody else's problems when you wake up. They'll send out emails, and like Chris Sacco always says, his inbox is his defense, his outbox is his offense. They won't look at Instagram when they first wake up or anything else because they don't want to hear about how everybody else on, on the gram is looking beautiful, they're smarter, skinnier, <laughs> whatever. They all got problems, right? What would you say to anyone who's been playing small when they maybe think they're playing big, they're listening or they're watching right now, but you know that we're all capable for more, 
what advice would you have for people playing small? I would say take that boulder that you're chained to instead of behind you and throw it in front of you. Let it pull you forward. Wow. Like, like do not. Playing small is the best way to ensure that you won't ever achieve big dreams, right? That you have to, don't get comfortable where you're staying right now. Get uncomfortable right away and press ahead. Because you probably know that you inside yourself that you have more to give this mm-hmm. world, and it's going to haunt you one day when you look back. So I do think there's something to be said for spending a little time, right? Look around, assess yourself, but, but quickly move off the dime and, and, and press ahead. Wow. Um, I, in fact, my biggest re- regrets in business so far have been the times I've played small. Really? Yeah, it's true. Like, uh, I, I don't regret the misses because I understand why I did them. I don't understand why I played small. Right, there's no great excuse for playing small in retrospect. When you mean playing small, is it like I made a small investment in this where I could have gone bigger? Exactly. I think mostly playing small for me looks like I know I'm right. I'm nervous about optics. Mm. I'm nervous about um, right. being judged for being wrong just in case, or I'm insecure, whatever it is. So we only put 100K in as opposed to a million. Exactly, or, right. or, or something's teetering. And I know I'm right, and I don't double down. Wow! Like that is just, now I haven't made a lot of those, but those are the ones that I that I regret because, and this is Steve's my partner's point. Like when you have a winner and you know it, those are go hard to come by. Go yeah. all in, right? Like we and the spray and pray is nonsense. Spray and pray to me yeah. is the playground of people who want to hedge all day long and are afraid to be wrong, afraid to be uh, wrong, right? I'd rather and I'm, I'm sure just worth, invest in index funds. Well, that's what I'm saying, like, right? Right? Then you'll do better anyway. Yeah, return. right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Get your annualized <laughs> yield, and you'll be fine. So I think when you have a winner in your hands, doesn't matter if anybody else knows. You got to press it, and that's uh, those are my biggest regrets. Now, what happens when you press it and you go all in big? And then you lose. Yeah, those, and you lose all your money and all your time and energy. How do you look at those deals? Those are tough. And you, you felt like, well, I thought I was right and I knew it, but the, the market or this or the person, whatever. Those are painful. But what I say is when you dissect it and you put the, you know, the patient on the table and you sort of do your postmortem, you will quickly find out the thing you missed. And the thing you mm-hmm. missed is usually related to some misalignment in your character, your personality, right? Like there was some, so you were worried about the downside. You were worried about acknowledging that they needed to pivot. You didn't confront the CEO because you, were, you didn't want to offend them. Or, mm-hmm. Like there's, you, you will, I have not had a situation like that where I was not able to dissect what I could where you missed it. Where I missed it. It's never, that's what's great about life. It's, we're all playing the same multi, you know, patterns. Maybe there are like seven yeah. you know, allegorical patterns playing out. There aren't new ones being created. So if you spend enough time paying attention, you can dissect it. So I'd much rather have gone all in and be wrong than have never gone in, all in at all on the winners. Because you don't get many winners. Don't. Right? Big winners. You might get small winners. Like, yeah, we made some money there. That did well. And we exited. But the big ones. There's yes. like, how many of those have we few years are the big winners. Well, I th- for one, you have to see so many deals to spot a winner. I'm curious. You talked about the first year you made a profit, $40,000, I think you mm-hmm. said. 47, I think. 47,562. Well, I don't know yeah, about yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah. If someone is an entrepreneur right now, let's just say they had their biggest year ever and they had a bunch of extra cash laying around. Mm. They're just like, wow, we finally made some money, an extra 100 grand, an extra 300 grand, whatever it is, a million bucks. What should they do with that extra money? How should they reinvest it to continue to grow? Two things I thought of right away. Number one, they shouldn't have that money. Okay. If you're really serious about building a business, you're putting the pedal to the metal, you're spending the money and putting the bets down long before it comes in. So the idea, like I made a mistake that one year I had a profit. Shame on me. I mean, I made someone good of it, of course. 
but you should really have any money coming in over aggressively targeted towards something that you do well. And I think the best place to put the money, and I work with my entrepreneurs all the time on this, and they're not so inclined. Most people want to put the money in on a new idea, a new version, or a new this. No, the best place to put the money is what has worked. Mm. Where have you gotten your sales? Give me the sources, what has worked. That's where you put your money all in. Put a pilot up until it stopped working, then you move to something else. But people don't do that. People always like the new stuff. Like, oh, but we, if we hire a PR company, you know, we'll really get, no, 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 the trade show has produced 80% of your money. Right, yeah. showing up and building those relationships yourself, yeah. Whatever has worked for you before, keep repeating, 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 and, and I just think the money shouldn't be there in the first place. Mm. Do you know, my whole life, I opened offices much bigger than I had any business doing. I, if The minute I had sales in a company and started seeing that we were doing well and I started smelling a profit, like we might get a profit, this thing might really start kicking in, I was out looking for office space. And if I needed, if I thought I needed 18 desks, I go out looking for 36. Wow. And I plunked the money down, start because I, I found that when you threw the money onto your bet in advance, you find a way to make it work. Mm -hmm. If you wait till the time is right, wait till you have the profit, guess what? There's a smarter guy out there that's already put the money in your competitor and he's already ahead of you. And it's such a quick market when you're competing. You gotta like pop, 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 like there's a like the there's a timer on you, you know. Get it going. Uh, yeah. You have to have it done early, I think. So invest it back in a thing that's worked before for you until it doesn't work anymore. And more than you think you could handle. Because wow. human beings who are talented, especially entrepreneurs, are remarkable on making things work when the gun's against their head and they're under fire. Yeah. But gives them a lot of leeway and have them plot out, they start to go to sleep. It's really yeah. it's really not healthy for a business. It's that pressure that allows you to really kind of have more urgency and, and make it happen. Well, you're a football player. Did you yeah. play better in a game or in practice? Game. Yeah, same difference, yeah, same yeah, old thing. Yeah. Okay, so you said that was the first thing. It was You said there was two things, potentially. So <laughs> two things that I wanted to say was you shouldn't have the money. It should be spent way in advance. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is spend it on stuff that's worked before. There you have it, my friends. I hope you enjoyed this episode with the Shark Tank Masters. If you're looking to build your business, start your entrepreneurial dream, or just get a side hustle off the ground, then this is the episode for you. And if you know someone, if you've got a friend who's a business owner, who's a coach, a consultant, or starting to get a side hustle idea off the ground, send them this episode right now. Spread the message of greatness to them. Help a friend in need. Text them this link. Message them on Facebook. Send them a, mess a DM on Instagram. Wherever it may be that you like to connect, send them a message to the link lewishouse.com slash 773. Again, lewishouse.com slash 773. I'm so excited about this episode and all the interviews we did here in the Shark Tank Masters mashup. And we've got some big guests coming up, guys. Get pumped. If this is your first time here, please subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on SoundCloud, everywhere podcasts are at. Subscribe. Leave us a review. The more reviews we get, the more people learn about the message of greatness, and we can spread this message far and wide. Very excited about everything we are doing as a community and a movement together on the School of Greatness. And as Theodore Isaac Rubin said, happiness did not come from doing easy work, but from the afterglow of satisfaction that comes after the achievement of a difficult task that demands 
our best. There is no easy path to building your brand and building your business and, and building financial freedom. There's no simple, easy path, as you saw from all these entrepreneurs on Shark Tank. They've all gone through different challenges and adversities along the way. It's the afterglow of satisfaction that comes once you take on the difficult task. That's part of it. It's part of the journey. It's part of the ups and downs. Life would be boring if it was always easy getting to the top. Find fulfillment in the path. Find fulfillment in the journey and in those little moments every single day. Find the little moments of victories that you can celebrate and keep moving forward. As always, I love you so very much, and you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. Great.